commercial property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. It is absolutely all things commercial investing. Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Inside Commercial Property with uh, Scott O'Neill. He's the director of Rethink Investing. Scott, you good? Very good, mate. Indifferent, How are you? good, really good. No, really good at the yeah. moment. Yep. You got a yeah. bit of a spring to your step, smile on your face. Yeah, getting towards the end of the year, everything's opening up nicely for the economy. People are happily investing. It's good times. It is. It's good times and great times here at Inside Commercial Property. Uh, this is our sixth episode, so we've been at this for six months. Who would have thought? I know. There you go. I, I thought it was going to fail dismally. <laughs> you would. <laughs> Mainly because of, uh, of a pretty mediocre uh, host myself that not really that informed about commercial property, but six months on, I feel a lot more informed. And as we sort of set out in that first episode, you know, it's um, uh, an opportunity for me to, to challenge some of my ideas around investing, which has been very residentially orientated up until we kick this podcast off. And across the smart property investment community for many years, we've had people sort of going commercial, commercial, commercial. It's been a bit of a wholesale shift in commercial is a lot of people are starting to chasing yields that they're delivering and trying to diversify out of resi property. And we've had a, a pretty good five episodes so far. We kicked off commercial versus residential, which is pretty much 101 stuff that everyone wants to talk about. Then we spoke about the fundamentals of a commercial investing. Then it was commercial asset type. So we went right into all the different things available for property investors. And then last episode in uh, September, Scott, crunching the numbers where we did a deep dive into the numbers. So a lot of theory. We've been at university commercial property university, learning all the facts and figures and uh, and how it all works. But we now want to get into the narrative about how all this works out on the ground. So uh, Scott's uh, been um, great to bring in a guest into the studio, Bardia Norbehest. We're going to have a chat about his portfolio, what he's up to, how it's working, what he's done right, what he's done wrong, the sort of work that Scott does along the way to support him and a whole bunch of other things, fears, trials, tribulations, investing in commercial property. How are you going? Good, mate. Thanks to be here. So um, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a pharmacist. So okay. I spend yeah, half my time looking after pharmacies and we also invest in some Plus Fitness 24-7 gyms. Okay. So your business is pharmacies? Yeah, both. You're a pharmacist? I'm a pharmacist. Okay. And you invest in pharmacies? Yes. So the properties, but also the business themselves or it's a mixed bag? Yeah, mi- mixed bag. We have one property and a pharmacy and then another pharmacy, just the business. Okay. That's cool. And gyms as well. And gyms on the side. They started off on the side, but yeah. now they take up probably half of my time. time. Okay. So what I'm getting here is a bit of a, a picture of where a profession turns into an expansion into an asset class, which is property, but you also leverage it in the profession that you're in. Scott, is this sort of a typical for a commercial investor? There is there normally some sort of business connectivity, at least as a catalyst for getting into this game? Yeah, very often. So mm-hmm. most of my clients... You know, they're experienced business people. A lot of them have rented as a business tenant themselves. So they've got a bit of that prior knowledge as well. And as you know, a lot of people with uh, large residential portfolios will switch into commercial for better cash flow. And yeah, Barty is a, a classic example. He, he knows his numbers, he knows exactly what's doing. And yeah, he basically looked after or wanted to work with us to explore different markets because, you know, Barty is from Sydney. The yields down here aren't that fantastic. So, you know, there's a big backyard to choose from, so mm. that's where we fit in. Okay. And what's the backstory? How did you guys run into each other? How did that all originate? 
Well, my um, like I said, we have some businesses and we ended up buying a few of the sites and those investments turned out okay for us. So I wanted to do something on my own and get into some commercial property, just my wife and I. So listening to your show and the different guests that you got on, gave a few of these agents a call and um, I'd heard of Scott online and he's got a bit of a presence. So I gave him a buzz, had a chat and he was doing what I want to be doing. So went along with him. So it seemed to work. So let's sort of, I want to get into the portfolio first and then we can talk about how it all works. So do you also invest in residential property? Um, at the moment, no, I have okay. in the past, yep. um, but I've just, I have my principal place of residence. Okay, cool. So primarily commercial property is an asset wealth creating vehicle for you? Well, to be honest, no. Originally, one of the gyms we were leasing off a vendor and that came up for sale. And originally we weren't interested. It was too expensive. We'd never sort of done that before. And a broker of mine said, look, you should just have a look at this. And if you can get into it, it's it's good. So we did the numbers and we thought, well, look, we're paying this rent every month anyway. So it'd be nice if that was going to pay off the property. So we did that once. Then there was another site where for another suburb, we couldn't find a site for our gym um, when we were looking at the leasing market. So we thought, well, what, why don't we try and buy something? So we bought, and again, so we weren't really, and it happened a third time, so we weren't really looking at these as a wealth creation vehicle. It was more, we're paying the rent anyway, so why don't we just pay the rent to ourselves? Okay, so you own gyms yep. and you own pharmacies? Yes. Correct. Okay. How many pharmacies do you own, if you don't mind uh, asking? Two. Okay, how many gyms do you own? Five. Okay. Are those gyms under some sort of branded franchise? Yeah, they're plus fitness 24-7. Okay, cool. So were you in the business of pharmacies before you got into the business of gyms? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a mate approached me. He had a, um, a Domino's pizza and one of these new 24-7 gyms opened up nearby. He said, look, this is great. You know, I can swipe in, swipe out and I never see the owner and it seems to be a, a decent model. So let's look into it. I mean, that's where it all started. Okay. So your background, so you did pharmacy in university? Yes. Okay, so you can sit there and mix potions and do all that sort of <laughs> That's stuff. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Not those sort of potions or anyway. <laughs> so health-making potions. Yeah. Uh, so you finished university. Where did you study? Uh, Sydney. Okay. Good school for pharmacists. And then you just started working in pharmacy as a, a young graduate learning the craft. Yep. And actually yeah. that's where the first investment, which was residential, came into it. Mum and dad said, look, okay. you know, now you're earning and I don't want you going out and partying and wasting all your money. So mm. we have to go halves in a property. We have to. Okay. So we, I went halves with my parents and bought a residential property and everyone's got the story. I wish I still had it. We sold it yeah. and, you know, would be double what I sold it for. <laughs> so was there a trigger point where you went, there's probably a lot of money to be made in being a pharmacist or owning a pharmacy. What was the transition point from you to be an employee to being an employer, as in someone who owned a pharmacy business? My dad always ran his own business, okay. and um, he'd always said to me, look, if if someone's paying you a wage, imagine what the guy paying you the wage is making. So mm. I always wanted to go into business myself. And your first pharmacy, where was it? It was Hurstville. Okay. So I have a partner there, and I'd worked with him for – a uh, number of years before he offered me a uh, position, which yeah. is good. Okay. Oh, Scott, I'm leaving you out of this, man. I'm having a good chat here. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> so how do pharmacists make money? Do you uh, make it from the drugs? Obviously, is a margin. Yep. Yeah. Or is it from the, the stuff that you sell, like shampoo and- Yeah, a bit of everything. So yeah. we have a dispensary that we make a dispensing fee from yeah. what we hand out. There's also now a big push to professional services. So we do meds checks and home medicine review, and that's subsidized by the government. Mm. And obviously, you know, shampoo and vitamins are at the front as well. How disrupt is it? Because I looked into, not as an investor, but just I was quite intrigued by the business model of pharmacies, hugely disrupted by these larger 
chain-based pharmacists coming in. You know, the pharmacy guild was like pushing back and lobbying the government hard to try and stop a whole bunch of changes. What, what's the status of the industry right now? Is it a healthy industry? Because it used to be a license to print money, but maybe less so now. Yeah, look, it's like in any industry when a disruptor comes in, you've got to sort of learn to do a niche well. So what we've found is you, you do have your big sort of pharmacies that are the discount model and then now the small independent pharmacies tend to focus more on their service and their professional services. And do most like people who use pharmacies or shop at a pharmacy actually understand the difference now that you can actually go to pharmacy A and just get cheap stuff but little service or you can go to pharmacy B and get a high touch, high value service, which is more akin to a medical support? I think so. I'd like yeah. to think so. I mean, it's probably they learn it the hard way, I would think that, you know, either they go to a smaller pharmacy, pay a little bit more and then learn, okay, well, if I'm shopping on price, maybe I'll shop elsewhere and vice versa. So they'll go and shop on price and they realize they didn't get the service or the counseling that they, they would have preferred. And then they sort of make their choices based on that. Yeah. So the first pharmacy that you I guess two things. Did you buy a business or did you set up a new business? No, I bought half of uh, the pharmacy that I was working at. Okay. That's cool. And did that opportunity just arrive? Was it a succession thing or someone wanted out or you no, you wanted in? No, I'd been working there for a number of years ever since my first year of university and mm. I'd built a good relationship with the owner there and who's still my partner in the gyms as a matter of fact now. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and, cool. um, and he said, look, well, why don't you sort of come in? And that's how it went. So the person that you first, you, so you bought half of pharmacy, that is a business relationship has evolved. So now you can't invest in in gyms, okay, we'll get and, that. and properties, and properties. Yeah. So, so the business that you bought into was there a property connected to it, or you're leasing that? No, we're just leasing. You're it. leasing it, okay. So you bought into the business, not the property, and then did you buy that property connected with that pharmacy? Was that no? Okay, so tell us about the first pharmacy you bought, because the reason why I was asking those questions is that you understand the business of pharmacies really well. So if you're going to invest into other pharmacies for other pharmacies to operate and or to run your own, you need to make sure it's a good sound financial investment and you pay the bills. So the person that's renting it pays the bills. So so where's the first pharmacy that you bought? We bought one in Yarrawarra, so in the Sutherland Shire of Sydney. Okay. And I imagine that's probably a pretty good location for pharmacies. Yeah, look, it's a tiny little suburb and we're just in a neighbourhood shopping centre there. Mm. And when we bought it, the offer was there that if we wanted to buy the property as well, we could do that. And at the time, my wife and I couldn't afford to buy the property, but we weren't going to move the pharmacy anywhere. And, and it was our idea to stay there for a long time. So I said to my dad, listen, this is a good idea. We're going to buy this business. And if you've got a bit of spare cash, why don't you buy the property as well? I'd rather pay rent to you and you can use that rent to pay off your loan. So you bought the pharmacy business and your father was your landlord? Yes. Okay. How did that go? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> did you go, oh, I can't pay the rent today, Dad? I'm sorry. Did you get competitive rent? Was it all, it must have been, did he pay with cash or did he finance it? No, he financed it. He used yeah. the equity in his home and we just went along with the existing lease. So we signed that lease to him. Okay. And is that still the arrangement you have right now? Yep. Okay. We've got annual increases and we try and do everything right by everyone. Okay. So do you actually own the properties where your pharmacies are located? No. So okay. we own the business. Dad owns the property in that, that location. Okay. So you're investing, therefore, in property, commercial property, is gym locations. Yes. So are you leveraging cash flows and no doubt profitability in your pharmacy business to underwrite the cost of investing in property well, the original property investment for the gym was funded by just the equity in our homes okay. because we have a few partners. And it's your business partner that you, you subscribed into the original pharmacy business. Okay. Yeah, and my father and my brother. So there's, oh, four, so there's of four of you guys. Yeah. Okay. 
and you're investing in gyms now. Yes. So yeah. the business of running the gym and the property that the gym operates within. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. This is interesting. So when did you get into this, Scott? When did you arrive and uh, yeah, well, come on the scene? When was it? It was about a, a year or two ago. So uh, yeah, yeah, January this year. Yeah. So Vardy reached out initially. He was um, probably more retail focused, I'd say. Obviously, because that's your experience. Gyms and pharmacies are mm. a, a form of retail. And uh, we were looking around, and basically, uh, we're talking more about industrial, and that's what we ended up targeting because we're seeing uh, there was just a lot more strength in that market versus what we're seeing in the retail and. The yields, length of leases, all that kind of stuff was a lot stronger. And it was a bit of a diversity play as well. So not just investing outside Sydney, which is, you know, away from the Bardia's current uh, assets. Mm. It's uh, We look different state but also a different asset class. And, yeah, it proved to be uh, quite a successful transition, especially in the early days of coronavirus as well. Absolutely. And I was just thinking the line of question there was quite interrogating but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but extracted quite a lot of information. So... So your investment portfolio now in commercial, so it's combined largely with your other business partners. Can you give us a sense to how many gyms, how many gym locations, as in the properties you own, mm -hmm. and then this diversification play as well? Yep. So there's three. So obviously we don't always have the opportunity to purchase the property that the business is, but on these three occasions we were lucky enough to do so. And it started about five years ago and we, we bought them from there. And like I said, I noticed that that's working well, the interest rates were low, the rent was paying everything off, so I decided to do something on my own and that's where I gave Scott a call. Okay, so let's just stick with the gyms for a moment. Whereabouts are they? So the property that we own that we bought first was in Hurstville. Okay. And then the next gym that we own the property is in Menai. Okay. And the third one is in Engadine. Okay, so it's all sort of South Sydney essentially. Yeah, yeah that's okay. right, yeah. And all operating under the same franchise brand? Correct. Okay. And are they separate companies or is it one group that owns multiple locations? There's two business entities and the actually there's a couple of property entities also. Okay. So you pigeon paired the business and as a property. So there's separate. Imagine yeah. you've got some good advice around that. Essentially. I'd like yeah. to hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and are they street level or is it one level up? Are the high street type stuff? So, Hurstville is a retail premises underneath a, a big uh, medical building. Okay. Um, Menai is a sort of a warehouse auto complex, if you like. It used to be a hardware store. And Engadine is a standalone building. Okay. And did you buy them for purpose or did you fit them out? So, we were for Hurstville and Engadine, we were the current tenant mm. and we just purchased off our landlord. Okay. And like stock. So, you already own the stock in there the machines but yeah. you just bought the property correct yeah, okay. yeah and for menai we bought it it was a hardware shop and we fitted out for a gym okay would you do a fit out from scratch again on the gyms i know it's pretty expensive exercise but i guess you build for purpose yeah, yeah 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 i would it's as you say you can build for purpose so the amenities are what you want it to be and and you know everything is the way you want it to be okay and what's your thoughts scott on gyms as as asset class for for commercial investors so you know, Barty is, you know, philosophy or strategy is own it and run it. That's cool. But for people who just want to have a building which is good for gym leasing, is it a good investment? Look, we do like them and we've bought many with clients over yeah. the years. It's obviously they're a little bit out of flavour just because of closures and stuff like that. But mm. a lot of them are doing very well. You've got extremely expensive fit outs, long leases, often a national brand or franchise attached to it. So, you know, they're a good like repeat business model, you know, Buddy can tell you all about that, but you know, if you've got excellent amount of members and they're uh, covering all the costs, and 
you've got a good manager marketing it continuously, you know, these that can be very passive investments and, you know, it's not cheap moving a gym as well. So once they've got their footprint in there, they, uh, you know, as long as the clientele are consistent, it's mm. um, people have to keep fit, you know, it's not going to go out of fashion. It's just a matter of uh, is there too much competition in the area? And, uh, you know, that's, I guess, the worry with gyms. But, you know, if you pick the right franchise model, it's a great investment for an investor. And even through COVID, we found there was only probably a two to three month kind of rent disruption with the clients. And then they're all sort of back paying full rent now. Mm. And we spoke about it last uh, episode, episode five, go and check it out, where we sort of crunched the numbers of each asset class. So as a commercial investor, what you want is essentially surety that whoever's using your asset can pay the bills, right? Like That's a key thing. Can they pay the rent? And each type of business has its own levers and triggers and makeup, which what makes them successful or not successful. And for gyms, from what I understand, it's all about what you generate through your member base annuity stream, right? That, sure. That's where you can tell whether or not it's a good business is whether there's a good, strong annuity stream coming in your member base. So if you're investing in a gym, Scott, would that be the sort of the key sort of assessment on a P&L you'd want to see? Yeah, so you won't often get a P&L mm. for privacy reasons, but pretty much like the questions you just asked on the pharmacy, that you want to interrogate them. You mm. want to find out how many members they've got on the books, how many, uh, you know, is there a, a declining revenue stream? Like, are they comfortable with the rent? You know, just talk to a number of people in the business or, you know, get on the phone to uh, whoever you can and just find out, you know, is everything as it seems? And mm. just you just want to kind of form your own dialogue from that. There's a lot you can find online as well, you know, reviews. You can uh, just do your Google map search and type Jim in on the postcode and you'll, you'll see five pop up. You'll get a bit of a gist of uh, how long each have been there. If three new ones have opened up in the last 12 months, that could be alarm bells. But if if yours is uh, the one we're looking at, been there for five years and there's only been other, you know, 10 other gyms there and there's no new ones in mm. recent times and, you know, they've got a long history of paying their rent. So that's something we'll see, rental uh, payment slips from the actual uh, rent getting deposited each month from the owner. That's part of the due diligence. And if we can see they've been paying uninterrupted for the last two, three years, it's a pretty good indication they're going to keep doing that. So, you know, you won't get P&Ls unless it's an owner lease back, yeah, okay. um, unfortunately, but, um, you know, you'll get everything else. Yeah. And I sort of said, hey, you know, it's sort of five minutes really interrogating you there, which some people sometimes find quite uncomfortable. <laughs> I went easy on you, right? But but you sort of, you made a really good point. If you're going to invest in commercial property, you've got to interrogate the business, right? You need to understand it absolutely completely before you can make an informed decision. So that was really just five minutes of the type of questions I would be asking even at the start of investing in a commercial property or a particular type of asset. You know, you've got to dig down right into it and hopefully, you know, over uh, inside commercial property the next um, six months we have of this particular series, we can go into that to help train and, and coach and educate the type of things you need to be thinking about when it comes to investing in commercial property. I've got a little bit of experience, I understand, and I've spoken to a lot of different business people, so I have quite a broad understanding of how it all works. But don't allow your lack of knowledge be a handbrake for you to stop investing in commercial property because that's why a lot of people use people like Scott to help them do that bit, right? And that's the important bit. And um, Bardia, you've sort of pivoted your journey away from sort of co-investing with your your partners in gyms into a more personal approach, diversification, hooking in with Scott. So let's have a chat about that. What's your sort of personal portfolio look like now in terms of commercial property? Well, at the moment, it's just the one that I bought with Scott. Okay. And tell us about that. 
So like I said, I rang Scott early in the year and um, had a bit of a chat about what I wanted to do. And like he says, I wanted to do retail. I wanted to purchase a retail commercial property, but only because that's what I knew. Not in gyms or you were open? I was open. Okay. I, I wanted to be a borderless investor and look elsewhere. And just from that discussion, Scott sort of guided me and it gave me some information about what else was out there and told me to think about uh, different classes in industrial. And I hadn't thought of that before. I mean, the more he sort of gave me some info, I went off and, and researched and listening to podcasts and whatnot, decided that's where I wanted to be. So he started to present properties and we went through a few before we got there. Let's talk about that journey. Where did you start? What was first cab off the rank? Did you say no, 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 or you didn't get the deals? No. Well, each one of them had its own little issue. Okay, what, was the first, what was the first one, Scott? Do you remember? <laughs> so the first, so we were looking at property in Acacia Ridge. So this is- Acacia Ridge. Uh, this uh, is in Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane. And that's a good suburb for industrial. We were look, It's about a thousand square meter warehouse and the numbers on it, so- it was an off-market deal. So the agent from a big company, big firm, presented this offline to us. It was returning 102000 and apparently the tenant pays all outgoings. It was a, it's like a wholesaler to a supermarket. So they supplied okay. a specific range of products, basically like food-related, uh, Indian-type food-related. Um, so they imported in a uh, yep. warehouse that then distributed. And wholesaled yep. it out. So yep. they needed that big space. There was a lease in place. The numbers, it was a 7.29% net return. Really good numbers on it. That's pretty good. And what we found is, you know, I'll let Bardi explain what happened, but basically the agent got the numbers wrong and they were withholding information right till the end. And we're just – because we've got a due diligence on it. So mm-hmm. how we work is we essentially – get the numbers off the agent or the owner direct, depending on how we're buying it, and put a 21-day due diligence period on it. So that 21 days is there for us to cross-check everything. So would you sign a contract and then subs, you know, with 21 days to work out whether or not you want it? Exactly. So you control the property. Yeah, so we okay. control it, but it gives Subject us- Subject to it was the word I was going for. Exactly. Yeah. And, but we're not at risk of, I guess, like, if you do that in New South Wales, you're locked in. Mm. And if you find problems, it's it's your problem. But yeah. So we always have the ability to walk away and that's the good safety net with our business. And then we've got the process like building reports, you know, getting the solicitors involved, checking uh, payment history, just going through all the approvals, like the internal, like make sure the it's purpose fit for the tenant. And uh, we're just trying to find problems with it essentially. And we've got yeah. three weeks to do that and- this one we found problems. You found some problems, did you, buddy? Unfortunately, we did, yeah. And that subject of due diligence was huge for me. I didn't know about that. And Scott said, listen, once we sign, we can go off and research it. And if for whatever reason something pipes up, you don't yeah, like you do- it. So, sorry about it. So, Scott, that's in Queensland if you're buying commercial property, you get 21 days essentially cooling off period. The yeah. same applies in resi, but it's like two weeks, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, two weeks and you can do pest and building and subject to finance and stuff. Yeah. So I've used that tactic in Brizzy as well. So we do Brizzy. it in every state though. Okay. Even, like New South Wales is the hardest. It's hard to do it here. But we'll, uh, we almost demand it because it's just too complicated for a, you know, for commercial property because you've mm-hmm. got to find all these things and a lot of it won't be supplied to you until you're under contract because an owner's not going to give all their uh, payment history out to everyone who asked yeah. on the internet. You but need a contract to show you're serious. Serious deal. Okay, cool. So what did you uncover? So we found this site. We flew up there. My dad and I had a look at it. It looked good. We engaged the solicitor, started all the searches. We paid for evaluation. And then, as Scott said, we discovered that the, the rent was not what was quoted and it was a vendor lease back. So for me, it was... Uh, 
a few red flags there that the vendor now wanted to pay a lower lease to me than what he'd historically paid uh, himself. himself. And okay. obviously that affected the yields. And um, I think at the time, Scott went back to the agent and said, look, do we want to, uh, well, either the rent needs to go up or the property price needs to go down. And I don't think you got much traction. So you blew the deal up. What would be the logic of doing that? So do you reckon they were really paying that rent or was just inflated as a something well, something a bit fishy? Look, they really wanted to stay on the site. Mm. So they didn't want to pay more rent because they're going to be long-term tenants, which is one of the reasons we liked it. Like they filled the place to the brim. A thousand square meter warehouse it's is small. Is, it's quite large. So think, yeah. imagine upsizing from that. You're not going to upsize into a 1200 square meter. You're yeah, probably going to go double the size yeah. and that's going to be double the rent. So it's a big commitment to upsize from a thousand square meter warehouse to the next level. So, you know, that's a good size for a long-term tenant. And- they just were brutal with the negotiations. They were, in a way, deceitful with the numbers because basically the outgoings weren't included in it and that changed the net figure. And normally vendors will come to the party because mm. if the numbers are, are fairly drawn out and we still want to hit that 7.29% net yield, then uh, you know the price needs to come down. And it worked out to be about a 100,000, 150,000 type discount on the property. And it's about a 1.4 mil type purchase. So big discount as a percentage. Mm. They just wouldn't do it. And uh, we tried because we have success with getting discounts on most properties really because there's always discrepancies in the outgoings or you can even find the size of the properties different. You get a surveyor out and it might not be 1,000, it might be 980 Mm. square meters. And these things are negotiation tools to used in the due diligence period to actually get more off for well, Was the issue with the property, if it was marketed correctly from the front end, would have you thought it was a good deal? Is because they changed the game partway through it, you went, no, nah, because you had your heart set on 7.5% and then, you know, if it was what it was, was it still a good deal? Yeah, look, you'd still buy it, but, yeah, yeah it was just a kick in the guts. And yeah. you don't get emotional with this stuff, but, mm. you know, if someone gets the numbers wrong and then, you know, like, oh, I want to get the best possible deal for Bardia yeah. and- I couldn't in my heart say, let's, and there's, you know, I read the email this morning and we're like, you went, here's a great deal. He went, oh, it's still a good deal at this. Yeah. And we just made a call and say, look, it's not worth it. Let's, let's move on. And um, yeah, Fadia agreed. And obviously they were hesitant to provide you with all the numbers, right? So did they make that difficult for you to do that as part of their strategy? Yeah, there was just delays. Mm. And um, yeah, it dragged out and we were kind of just waiting for the, finalized lease and it was holding up dd so yeah. we i think we asked for an extension possibly if you have finance sorted ready to go or, or sorted and approved but your finance would have been approved on the deal that you had in front of you 7.9 percent rather than fives right yeah so yeah. that's a big issue you got to go back to finance and sort all that you got 21 days to do it what was the role of the agent as part of this were they uh collaborating it's probably the right word with the owner to potentially market it as something it's a bit bait and switchy right yeah, look, I think they did have our best interests at heart. But, yeah, look, you know, it's that grey area. You know, they wanted us to pay more, but, you know, like we're here to represent the buyer, they're here to represent the seller. So, yeah. But, I look, I believe he was a bit – he wasn't happy He either. probably felt a bit compromised, I would imagine, because yeah. good agents don't like being in that situation. And their I know, reputations are like gold dust. And th- this was about nine months ago mm. and he still hasn't sold that property. So the agent walked away from it okay. as well. So Why were they selling the property, do you know? Uh, well, they're just, it was a 1.4 mil cash injection to the business. Okay. So they need the cash up for yeah, they were looking to, stock um, or something else or expansion. Exactly. Yeah. And when you said no, we're out, did they come back saying, oh, 
we've no. changed our mind or was that no. was it? And um, look, this happens with off-market deals sometimes because mm. they haven't they're sometimes not fully committed to sell. Could we just chat about off-market deal because there's a lot of contention around what off-market was. So with this one here, did the owner, the vendor, say to a real estate agent, hey, if you can find something to buy this, we'll sell it, but we don't want to list it. So it's probably even further than that. We train or talk to agents all day, every day, and almost Mm. harass them for property. So agents go out on our behalf approaching owners. Knock on doors. So they knocked on this door and they they got a bite with a lead to sell the property. Mm came to us, so we're the only one That's looking at it. truly off-market. Truly off. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, you see in Sydney where they've got an off-market listing, but it's really mailed out to 5,000 people. It's pre-marketed, right? Yeah. It's just before it hits the, yeah. the real estate knock-on. It's totally not off-market. Yeah. But these ones are, yeah, it's really just a one, like we're the only one looking at it. Sometimes you might see they farm it out to one or two people, but mm. when they do it, we let the agents know we're not happy with that and we, we'll forget it. You'll walk. You know, if you want to play those games where we're wasting each other's time, you know, go sell to someone else. So so agents like you then. So if you say, I've got a motivated buyer. So you would say, we've identified these type of assets in this location with this type of dynamics around. It might be square meter size or, you know, if it's um, industrial, it might be like mezzanine levels and this, that and the other. Go and find us those properties. That's pretty good for a, an agent, right? Yeah. And like there's some agents we buy all their stock mm. as long as it hits our numbers. And, you know, we make their job easier because, um, you know, you can see people like Vardy, like we're real buyers, you know, yeah. their finance is okay. We ask all the right questions day one. So a lot of buyers out there just, they tire kick, you know, they do the silly lowball offer that'll never hit or they'll, yeah. um, they've never even spoken to their bank and they've put an offer on a property, gone under DD periods and then, you waste a month and it crashes. So yeah. we don't do that. Like if we're putting an offer on it, it's going to be, it will follow if through. If it's yes, it's a deal. If it's no, it's no. Yeah. And the only thing is as long as the numbers stack up and that's mm. the uh, the tricky bit that we work through. And we've got a due diligence team. That's all they do. It's yeah. cross-checking the numbers and we package it up in a report. And then, you know, if there's a variance, then that's where we're going to renegotiate. And some of those numbers we spoke about them in last uh, episode five, go and uh, check it out. So this is where we sort of dig down into that due diligence process that Scott and his team go through in order to assess a particular property and where they go ahead. So this was a no, you've moved on. How did you feel about that, Bart? Did you go, stuff this, I've flown up there with my old man and I've wasted a couple of days looking at this property, I'm invested, I reckon I'm already counting me up and positive income coming off the back of this and then the deal falls apart. Look, to be honest, that's how I thought I would feel, but mm. I didn't. I felt really comfortable because I expected my buyer's agent to push me for the sale mm. and say, listen, we can make this work and if you're you know, up the rent or rah, rah, rah. And the, the fact that Scott blew the deal up really, really quickly inspired confidence for me and we were sort of just leading into COVID at this point. So mm. I, I really knew I had an advocate looking for property and um, I spoke to my wife and we said no. And also just from our chats with Scott, I was starting to narrow in on the sort of property I wanted. That was a strategy. So as part of your education process Absolutely. was to go through that journey and you probably felt or thought differently about industrial property versus originally looking for your and your experience investing in sort of sort of quasi retail type stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a really good learning curve for me. And that was a, a strata block. So this was one warehouse in Australia and, and we sort of discussed that maybe that's not what we wanted. Mm. And uh, just that evolved into the next properties that Scott presented okay. to me. So was there any other any other um, dead duck deals as part of this or was the next one the one that you bought? No, absolutely. There was a, he showed, we, we went through a couple of properties in Brisbane and there was flood zones and things that I wasn't personally comfortable with. Mm. And we found another one in North Lakes was the next one that we sort of Where's North Lakes? Down on. 
It's a big Westfields there, isn't it? North Brisbane. North Brisbane, yeah. And it ticked the boxes. It was a national tenant. It wasn't strata. The yield was good. And I think we were about to put in an offer and we lost out on a cash offer. Okay. Cash always. Cash always. So there's a lot of cash offers popping up at the moment. Is there? At all price points too, which is- Is Is this people who have just been sitting there with a big big war chest waiting for COVID? Sort of family offices type stuff? Or not even, just individuals. So I caught up with- Like cashed um, up tradies with a couple of million to burn. Yeah, and a lot of pensioners who have got millions, you know, they're out there. Super fun stuff or cash cash? uh, Both, yeah. Yeah, So so I was talking to one of the guys, you know, director of one of the big commercial uh, firms and they're selling sort of child cares and, you know, service stations and all that kind of stuff, you know, three to seven mil price point. Mm. And I was just saying, who's buying all this stuff? Because the yields for those are like getting really sharp, like sub 4%. Yeah. And I, I was curious, like who are buying these? Who are accepting those yields for like single purpose type tenants? And he's just saying, oh, people have just got, you know, moving their money out of the bank to purchase these assets. They see a five, 10 year lease and that's good enough for them. They don't care. And they're normally just a cash purchase and- it's just cycling money out of a bank into a property and that's yeah. it. Well, the, unless you've got your money offset against resi property, it's not going to do much for you at the moment sitting in a savings account. No. You know? So that's where these cash offers are coming. Mm. They're just cycling the money out of a bank into that and there's nowhere better or safer than, you know, potentially something like that. And this is a challenge for property investors, commercial property investors now, is that the competitive playing field is it's out there, right? How do you compete against a cash, a cash buyer? you just got to up your price really. Yeah, well, look. Thankfully, it's not every example, but mm. yeah, look, it is the off-market. It's the relationships we have with agents that do come into it a yeah. lot of the time. So that longevity helps, you yeah. know. Yeah, look, it's and it helps more and more every day. Mm. If we're going into a new market, which we're doing that every week, it's and you meet an agent that doesn't know you and it's so much harder. And, mm. you know, so we're first-time investors in different areas and compared to the areas where we've bought hundreds of properties for clients, you know, we control those markets, but you go to a new one, it's- you're nobody, right? Start again. Yeah. And yeah, it's harder and, and you've got to cut your cut your teeth on smaller properties and work your way up, build a relationship, show them that deals can be done hassle-free at the right price. And Yeah. And talk would only get you somewhere with agents. They're going to go, all right, yeah, sure, Mr. Big Shot, you talk a good game, but like let's get some runs on the board yeah. just to prove your worth and then- you know, and it's hard, and hence the reason why I use a buyer's agent for all my stuff. But okay, so you missed out on North Lakes mm-hmm. uh, cash buy. What was next? I think Hillcrest was next, which was a it was a multi-tenanted educational building. So they had a couple of tenants. Hillcrest is also north south, south Brisbane. South, south Brisbane. Brisbane. So that, press my geography here, but uh, and, and that didn't sort of tick the boxes up. for me. Yeah, yeah. and then um, Scott presented me with one in Launton. Yeah. Launton's a great place. Buying Launton quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whereabouts? I've got. I own an apartment block in Launton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, just Leanne Crescent, so one of the warehouses there on a fair bit of land. And now, from discussing these things with Scott over the previous, you know, eight or so months, this was something that really tickled my fancy, and we sort of wanted to go deep into this one. Is that the one you bought? Yes. Okay. All right. Hang on. So I'm going to Google it quickly so I can see where it sits compared to it. What, what street was it? Leanne Kidding. Crescent. Leanne. Okay. So it's industrial area, is it? Yes. Okay. So the place I've got is right by the station. There's a set of shops and stuff around. Okay. I know where you guys are. Oh, you're right near the Bunnings there. Okay. Cool. All right. So freestanding? Freestanding, yes. Yep. It was... About 3,100 squares of land with a 1,000 square metre warehouse on it. Okay. 
And what sort of business was it in? They sell sort of spare parts for trailers and caravans and things like that. So this was in the middle of COVID and we sort of did a bit of due diligence on the business and realized that they have an exporting arm and they seem to be doing quite well. They hadn't asked for any rent deferrals. So I was comfortable with the tenant. The issue was that they only had one year left on their lease. Okay. So our strategy was let's use this due diligence period and really find out if they are happy there or not because we were going to ask to extend their lease. Okay. So tell them about the numbers. What did you pay for it? What sort of debts on it? They were asking 1.45 yeah. at the time. And I wanted a standalone finance for this one because, as you know, it was a little bit complex with the other entities. And I ended up getting a um, – they were quoting me a 70% LVR. Okay. And do you just have some cash sitting around or do you have to refinance out? I just used some equity in my um, home. Okay. So you refinance family home at probably a pretty low rate. It's probably not costing you too much to use that money. And you put 70% into this so – did you really notice the cash flow impact at all or was it just really No, strange? I'd had just equity that I just drew out of the yeah. – I didn't even need to refinance. So oh, Okay, um, just, was it like an offset or something or other? Yeah, or, just, yeah, just paid ahead a little bit. So oh, just cool. use that as a deposit. That's yep. smart. Good trade. How did you go with the financing considering you've got all these other assets with other business partners? You would have had to present all the financials for everything right to get finance. It was a bit easier than that. That was one option. So yeah. I could have gone with a big bank and they would have asked for everything and – my broker said that may have been problematic because half of my businesses were closed. Mm. This was in the middle of COVID yes, and the gyms true. were closed. Yes. So we decided let's just go with Suncorp and they would just take a charge on the property and they would just use the value of the lease. So they just looked at it and it's in its own right as That's a it. siloed asset and said, how much is the rent? How much is the deposit? How much is the week three payments? And so what's the cash position on it then? Must positively geared. No, yeah, it's, it's positively geared. So yeah. the yield is around seven. Yep. And net, uh, net yield is seven. Net yield is around okay. seven, yep. Because as soon as I bought it, we had a 4% annual increase on the rent, which okay. helped. And my rate at Suncorp is 3.7. So That's not bad for a commercial. That's pretty good for commercial, isn't it? Yeah, and they're so. getting lower. And that's a standalone deal. So if mm. you're using your own personal finances to uh, leverage off, you'll probably get into the the twos at the moment. Okay. What do you reckon about cross-collateralizing commercial property into sort of resi stuff? Oh, look, it depends on, yeah, your situation. If, mm. if you're never going to sell or do anything like that, it's, uh, it's, okay. it's easier. So but it, to be avoided if you can as a general rule. It's always better. Not, to have, and we're not giving financial advice. It's very general. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. Standalone is easier. Long-term, yeah. more flexibility, of course. So, okay. Yep. So what's the annual rent now, Net? We are 102. Okay. And what's the debt costing you a year? Oh, but there's money in your back pocket, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, because essentially it's all debt because yeah. I've pulled it out of my home loan. Correct. So, if we work out, say, 3.7% on that whole amount, that's mm. still positively geared. Yeah. So, for me, that's just being saved in an account, all the extra. I'm ready to build a little bit of equity in it, have use that money, and then go again. So, do you actually have a, a job now? Are you still a pharmacist? Do you yep. draw an income? Yep, so, absolutely. So, is that what you presented to the bank saying, hey, here's my... Well, you're self-employed, but however you get paid, saying I get paid this every month or whatever it is. They didn't even need it. They just went off the the lease okay. because we could say that the 
we have an income of 102000 a year. Mm. This was our rent and they were giving me whatever Suncorp was giving me. And the, as far as they knew, that extra money was coming just from cash deposits. So mm. they said this is what the interest is on the value that they're loaning me and the interest cover was high enough from the rent that I was getting from the property. Was that an easy process to go through with Suncorp Bank, bank it, on that? It was, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I use a broker, but yeah. it was yeah pretty pain-free. Okay. That's pretty cool. So what's next then? Is that it? More to go? No, no. I mean, the, the that property that's got presented has some value-add options. Mm. Um, so we can sort of put a bigger warehouse down the track or, you know, put multiple um, warehouses there. And whether we get the extra value there or just wait for it to appreciate and go into another property yeah. remains to be seen. But um, no, very happy with it at this stage. Yeah. And no problems yet? No issues? Not yet. No. <laughs> See, this is a good thing about you know, repairs and maintenance and all that sort of stuff. As long as the building's not going to fall down, it's incumbent on the tenant to do most of the work inside it, right? Make it look fancy and, and fix it. What are we, good, goodbye, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Oh, of course, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Got to say that. You, you, wouldn't have, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have pulled Barty out to have a chat with us on Inside Special, but every deal's like this, right? Yeah, but look, I brought Barty in because, like, I think we looked for about oh, eight months or so. Like, it was a, it was a long slog, and mm. it's because we waited a long time on that Acacia Ridge property, and obviously, uh, you know, we we're looking at other assets. So, you know, I want to present Barty with multiple options and, you know, so you can see what's out there. Mm. And, you know, everyone has different preferences. And like Barty was, uh, you know, you were really liking the idea of freestanding. And with this one had about a 30% site coverage. So, yeah. you know, it's a big warehouse, but it's 3,000 plus square meters of land in Morton, which over time we'll have to do well. So Yeah, I'll just, I'll just look at where it is. I know exactly the location. It's smack bang in that whole sort of precinct now, which is getting built out for the universities and stuff. So Yeah, there's a few know. big tenants around there. I think there's a Rebel there and there's an Aldi around there and there's, there's Yeah, Rebel just down the road. Super cheap auto, you know, there's a Bunnings Chemist Warehouse. We don't like Chemist Warehouse, do we? <laughs> <laughs> there are Aussie okay Seafood House. You know, they're all local. That's good. So it's been a good good experience. You're, you're happy with the outcome. Yeah. And look, for me, a lot of it was education mm. because it was a, an asset class that I hadn't really thought much about. And just all the while I was just trying to live listen to as many podcasts as I could, read as many books as I could on the topic Mm. and chatting to Scott every week or so. Just now I feel like I'm better equipped. But in saying that, you only know what you know. So Mm. doing it again, I'd always still go with an agent because I could be as informed as I like. At the end of the day, my day job is to dispense drugs, whereas Scott's day job is to buy these properties. So, Do you still like being a pharmacist? I love it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. You'll continue to do it? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Why? Uh, Look, I'd get bored if I didn't do anything. So, like I say, I spend half the time in the pharmacies, half the time in the gyms, and mm. it's, yeah, it's good fun. The The end game here is not to retire, it's mm. to choose where I go to work and go to work if I want to go to work. Do you actually do any work inside the gyms? Like, are you on the shop floor at all or no. on the gym floor? No, no. it's just, just really a Behind so the director role. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. But you're actually in there dispensing drugs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's That's cool. Good fun. How many hours a week are you doing sort of in the pharmacy? Oh, I'm doing about 30. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they keep your hand in and all that sort of stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. I think I have to be a sort of a productive member of society. Yeah. So well, no, I enjoy it. That's a very important job to to keep us uh, healthy. So uh, <laughs> listen, I'll bloat now and give me some scripts. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. Cause, uh, <laughs> no, well, thanks for coming in and and, uh, Pleasure. and, and sharing uh, that journey. It's really interesting. I've got a lot of this. I really enjoy doing this because I've got a lot of ideas. I want to have a chat with you after this. So, um, um, And I'm pointing at Scott there so you can't <laughs> see. <that. laughs> but, um, yeah, it's good. It's good to sort of 
intersect the theory that we've been going through now with a, a real life practical application of it. And I think what we've learned from this, and, and you probably should take away from it, is that you know you're going to have to invest time, energy, effort, and attention in order to be successful. This, and if you want to outsource a lot, you still need to have buy-in, right? Imagine you would only want to work with people, Scott, who are actually engaged and connected and yeah. willing to make decisions. You can't outsource all responsibility. And that's why we want to show our clients multiple properties because it's not – I don't want to show one and just them say yes. I want mm. them to understand the asset. They can compare it. Like if you're not completely on board with the property, it's going to create confusion. Mm. So, yeah, you'll see how much uh, knowledge Bardia has on everything about those properties and, you know, that's what you need. And even when you outsource, it takes time to get it right yeah. um, because this is not like residential where you can go choose a suburb and you just wait for, you know, the right price four-bedroom house to pop up. You know, we're mentioning suburbs here because, you know, you're not going to find others in those exact suburbs. So it's not like we're going to create competition because you've got to really look nationwide to find these types of deals. And it takes time and it takes our team, everything we've got to deliver these properties. And, and uh, you know, the, we've got those uh, due diligence periods to find holes in properties, which we always do as mm -hmm. well. And you know, but when you get it right, it is very profitable. It's good. And I think, you know, uh, my, my mistake there, I wouldn't even call this outsourcing. This is a real partnership because, you know, it's just not like, hey, do this for me and set and forget. you got to be involved. So that's good. That's uh, episode number six of uh, Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Uh, we'll keep at it. We'll be back again next month. Barty, thanks for your time today. Pleasure. Keep engaged. Keep connected. Good luck with it all. Thank uh, you. You're pretty diversified and no doubt going to be even further diversified. And Scott, uh, once again, mate, thanks for sharing your wisdom and knowledge when it comes to this. Thank you, mate. Nice one. What, what do people do if people want to sort of get any more sort of questions around Barty's journey? Uh, you happy to share it? You know, you know, stress test it. What's the best way? It, probably just uh, Google Rethink Investing and you'll see a contact us section. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll happily share everything we've got. So brilliant. Um, yeah. Good work. Out. All right. Thanks, uh, everyone, for joining us. And please keep those reviews coming on iTunes. We do uh, review them before we actually get on air and uh, some really good ones coming through. Uh, over the last couple of weeks. So um, thank you very much. We get a kick out of it. I get emails whenever they come up as well. And uh, our team's sort of saying, hey, look, what we're doing is actually making a big difference. So uh, that's what we're all about. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye.